Hello, dear listener. Sorry, but no podcast this week. I'm in a hotel room away from home and brought all my gear with me. And we tested it all beforehand and we launched the pod, launched into the podcast and it all seemed fine. But as I started referring to my notes, which are on a really big Word document, uh, my sound started to do some really strange things. And I think it's because the Word document is so large my computer couldn't handle doing the streaming and scrolling through a large Word document. So there's a lesson for next time. I'll just make that document a smaller uh, extract from it. But I look, I was going to chop into the episode and edit out the stuff that worked out, but so much relied on what had previously been said that it just didn't add up. So I decided just to abandon that episode. It'll be there on YouTube and on the Facebook, but it's really, um, my voice is pretty bad for a long section of it. So give this one a miss. We'll be back next week. At this point, I was intending, dear listener, to just finish off with a funny clip in my clip collection and be done with the podcast. But I came across this clip, which was appropriate because during the abandoned podcast, I was accused in the chat room and by probably by Scott again, I think, of, of being so pro-China and anti-USA and... In that context, this is an interesting clip. One of the things that, that you write about in the book, which will come as a surprise to everyone, certainly comes as a, a surprise to me, in that uh, Jeff Rabe describes Taiwan as far more expansionist than communist China, <laughs> as it makes the same claims as China to the South China Sea, as well as Mongolia, the Russian Far East, and... Uh, and much of uh, eastern Kazakhstan. Jeffrey, that is astonishing. Yeah, and it's partly, I make that point really just to remind people not to be ideological about this. Um, The democratic Taiwanese take a traditional Chinese view, which basically sees that the uh, boundaries of the Manchu Empire are the legitimate boundaries of modern-day China. The Communist Party doesn't do that. It's not about right or wrong. It's just to remind people not to look at these issues through preconceived perspectives about right or wrong, communist, democratic. That was a good clip. I must remember to trot that one out more often. Look, it wouldn't be a podcast without a bit of a dig at religion. No form of sexual depravity is too low for me. Animal, vegetable or mineral, I'll do anything to anything. Fine words for a bishop. It's nice to hear the church speaking out for a change on social issues. (laughs) Fiend, never have I encountered such corrupt and foul-minded perversity. Have you ever considered a career in the church? (laughs) No, I can never get used to the underwear. It is possible to leave us an audio message if you go to the website ironfistvelvetglove.com.au, head to the About page, and you'll see a link to SpeakPipe, which is a website where you can leave an audio message. That's where Landon Hardbottom leaves his messages. You can leave one as well if you like. Give us some feedback. Maybe um, don't give the feedback that we receive from this guy. Bunch of losers.
That was a bit unfair, wasn't it? At the time of recording this, Jimmy Carter, former American president, was gravely ill and not expected to survive for many more days. Here is a recording of what he had to say about America. Well, one of the greatest violations of human rights is, is the inability to live in peace. And um, if you go around the world and ask people who, which is the most warlike country on earth, which one do you think they would respond? The United States. Since we left the Second World War, and even before, but since we left the Second World War, the United States has been almost constantly at war in some part of the world. This may not be a good thing to say to a group of Americans, but I think that the historical trend is for the United States to relinquish its unquestioned domination of the world's politics and economy and cultural influence. I'm having fun grabbing these clips that uh, agree with the positions I've been taking. Funny that I happen to have such clips. Here's a clip from a Davos meeting. I actually came because I do believe we have an issue here. But I have to say, honestly, this is a very one-sided panel. You know, frankly, what people really want, what really want is a dignity of a job. I'd like for the panel to talk about beyond taxes, which every one of you have talked about. The only thing you've talked about in this whole panel on inequality, what can we really do to solve and help solve inequality over time beyond taxes? Let me tell you something. We're talking about jobs, but the quality of those jobs with poultry workers in the richest country in the world, the United States. Dolores, one woman we work with there, told us that she and her co-workers have to wear diapers to work because they are not allowed toilet breaks. This is in the richest country in the world. So don't tell me about low levels of unemployment. You are counting the wrong things. You're not counting dignity of people. You're counting exploited people. I, I wanna... And from the same Davis conference, this is what Rutger Bregman had to say. This is my first time at Davos, and, uh, and I find it quite a bewildering experience, to be honest. <laughs> I mean, 1,500 private yets have flown in here to hear Sir David Attenborough speak about, you know, how we're wrecking the planet. And, uh, I mean, I hear people talk in the language of participation and justice and equality and transparency. But then, I mean, almost no one raises the real issue of tax avoidance, right? And of the rich just not paying their fair share. I mean, it feels like I'm at a firefighters fighters conference and no one's allowed to speak about water. I mean, this is not rocket science. Mm -hmm. I mean, we can talk for a very long time about all these stupid <laughs> philanthropy schemes. We can invite Bono once more, but come on, it's, we gotta be talking about taxes. Yeah, That's it, taxes, taxes, taxes. All the rest is bullshit, in, in my opinion. I have fond childhood memories of watching TV at home with my family and invariably watching lots of British comedy, which was a favourite of my parents. So on the buses, are you being served, all that sort of stuff. None of that stood the test of time, I can assure you. But one, one person who did was Dave Allen. I went to a school uh, in a little village called Ratfarnham in County Dublin. My first day at school, this convent, long winding driveway up to it. One of those gothic doors, great studs in it, and rang the bell and opened. And there's one of these nuns flapping. 
off. Four years of age. Terrifying. What do you want, little boy? My mummy. My mummy and daddy said I've got to come here. Yes? Well, if you come here, you've got to be a good little boy. Will you be a good little boy? And I could see past her. And there's a fellow nailed to a cross. <laughs> I'll be a good little boy. <laughs> First question they ask, what do you know about God? I don't know anything about God. Who? God! <coughs> Who's God? God? You do not know who God is? Sister? Sister, we have an atheist here. <laughs> Let me tell you, little boy. God is, God was, and God always will be. What he is? What is that? He is the Father, he is the Son, he is the Holy Ghost. He is three in one. Do you understand? I'm four years of age, why wouldn't I? The greatest theological question in the world, three people in one, and I'm naturally, yeah. Where is he? He is here. Well, I can't see him. That doesn't mean because you can't see him that he's not here. He doesn't? He's in the cupboard. He's not in the cupboard! God doesn't go into cupboards. He's under the stairs. He's not under the stairs! He's here with us now. He's upstairs, he's downstairs, he's outside, he's inside, he's everywhere. I think he's a big one. Why can't I see him? I'm asked, do you love him? Do you love him? I don't know. I've never seen him. God loves you. Thank you. And he wants your love. Thank you. But if you do not give him your love, he will cast you into everlasting flame. What? He will cast you into everlasting flame. Have you ever burnt yourself? Yeah, I burnt myself on, on the candle. What was it like? Oh, very sad. Sure. Can you imagine that pain all over your body? That's what will happen to you if you do not love God. What do you think of that? I love him. I, <laughs> I love him. <laughs> then I was, I asked, who was the fellow on the cross? Jesus. Who's Jesus? He's the son of God. I've told you. Father, the son, and Holy Ghost. He's the son of God. He was born on Christmas Day and died on Easter. I didn't think he didn't hang around, did he? <laughs> what happened to him? He died because of you. <laughs> Christ died on the cross because of your sins. When, when was this? It was 2,000 years ago. Did he have a daddy? Of course he had a daddy. I've told you he had a daddy. God was his daddy. He had a mummy. Yes, he had a mummy. Mary was his mummy. So God was married to Mary. No, God was not married to Mary. Mary was married to Joseph.
This person needs no introduction. We're living in hard times, much sadness in our day. Look out for one another, in the end we'll be okay. Ah, in the end we'll be okay. Or will we? Anyway, one last clip coming up, the longest one. This is my reading of a essay poem, not sure what you'd call it, um, short essay by Bob Ellis on Growing Old. Talk to you next week. What, one may ask, is the difference between youth and age? It is the following probably. In your youth, you meet every day with 38 or 40 people of your age in school or college, and out of this number, build friendships, alliances, rivalries, or sexual passions with 18 or 22. These become your intimate world, the field of honour on which you are tested, the jury before which you plead your cause. To these might be added the drama group, the choir, the tennis club, the chess club, the church congregation you are in, You see them less often, once or twice a week, but they add up to 30 or 40 people your age or near it with whom you are in regular, intimate contact. But once you leave college or go to another town, the 18 or 20 peers you see each day is reduced to three or four, and the choir and tennis club members who migrated with you likewise to one or two. It is a crisis of discontinuity, and, though you do not suspect it, the end of youth. If you stay in the same town and half your friends do also, the number of times you see them is drastically reduced. A weekly gathering in a pub will soon peter out as fiancés are required, marriage is attempted, and mewling infants distract and unsettle your old acquaintance. A weekly poker game can acrimoniously dissipate. The tennis club may persist for a while, but the reducing numbers will mark each year the passing of time. By the age of 38, you will be seeing two friends once a month, by 50, four friends once a year. High school and college reunions may resurrect, for a time, old intimacies and spice with a passing adultery, a memory of old love. But the numbers, the numbers you took for granted in your adolescence never come again. Old age is when there is only you, your wife, a pestiferous neighbour, and the occasional Skyped image of your son or daughter from another hemisphere, and their children speaking a foreign tongue, and the new friends you see twice weekly at the workers' club or once a month in the book club. And the feeling of age derives from the loss of the gang you were once in, at school or college, who you never see now and may write the odd Christmas card to. There are people you love, Barry Humphreys, ghostly character, Sandy Stone, Averse, and you never see them. And there are people you can't stand, and you see them all the time. Age is therefore an unwilled forgetting of the good, the glad, the loved, by broken contact with those you knew and knew well when you were young. A faltering memory begins, and then dementia. <laughs>